I looked up today and I realized this rookie receiver class is a catastrophe. Two of the top three rookie receiving yards leaders aren't even wide receivers. Cooper Cup leads all rookies in receiving yards with 783. Then Alvin Kamara, then Evan Ingram, followed by Juju Smith-Schuster, and then Christian McCaffrey. So we only have two wide receivers in the top five rookie receiving yards leaders. That's courtesy of Ryan McDowell on Twitter. Follow him at RyanMC23. After McCaffrey, it's Keelan Cole, OJ Howard, another non-wide receiver, Kareem Hunt, another non-wide receiver, Trent Taylor, Kenny Galladay. Five receivers in the top 10. How is that possible? Because the 2017 wide receiver class, not good. Look who was drafted in the top 10. Mike Williams, giving you nothing. John Ross, giving you even less. And the third top 10 pick, Corey Davis, not on that top 10 list. So three receivers drafted in the top 10 this year. None of them are in the top 10 rookie receiving yards. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no one could have predicted this. In fiction, it's not possible. And the leader, Cooper Cup, doesn't even count because he's not a real rookie. He's 24 years old. He's older than Devin Funches. <laughs> Cooper Cup is that frat brother that refuses to go out and get a job. Just lingering around the frat house. Who is this creepy guy named Cooper? Just won't leave. Stop talking to my girlfriend. Get out of here. That was Cooper Cup last year at Eastern Washington. You can see the other receivers in that Eastern Washington passing game just exasperated by the targets Cooper Cup was commanding. Enough already. I mean, I like Cooper Cup now. Proudly wrong about Cooper Cup and now proudly right because I pivoted so quickly on Cooper Cup. I thought, oh no, this is, this is all happening in Los Angeles and Cooper Cup is going to be on the forefront of this passing game. I need to get out in front of this. He has a 40% dominator rating and a 1083 88th percentile agility score. He is the quintessential NFL volume slot receiver. You need to get this guy on your fantasy team. But Trent Taylor's not that far behind. Trent Taylor's also a prototypical NFL slot receiver. And with Jimmy Garoppolo, the volume in San Francisco is rising. So Trent Taylor was one of the great values in rookie drafts, as was another receiver that shows up on this list. His name is Keelan Cole. Keelan Cole is my kind of receiver. And he's my kind of receiver because he's a type of receiver that I'm not supposed to like. That the casual fantasy mansion observer thinks I hate Keelan Cole because Keelan Cole does not offer explosiveness. He runs a 4.64 at 6.1194. That equates to an 83.717th percentile height adjusted speed score. <laughs> this guy does not win vertically, but at the college level, 60% dominator rating. He had the highest dominator rating of any wide receiver in that 2017 class. So if you were just drafting based on dominator rating, you would have drafted Keelan Cole. You would have drafted Cooper Cup. And if you're factoring breakout age, you would have certainly drafted Juju Smith-Schuster as well. So the most predictive metrics were once again the most predictive in 2017. Because of course they were. Math. Math works. The eye test and film grinding does not. There's one takeaway that you can consistently get from this show. It is that. So Keelan Cole was a mega producer with the same breakout age as Cooper Cup. These are similar prospects. Keelan Cole, Trent Taylor, Cooper Cup. But Cooper Cup was the one getting the buzz. 
at the Senior Bowl. So he rose up draft boards based on buzz at the Senior Bowl, which was well-deserved. It's just that Keelan Cole and Trent Taylor should have also risen up draft boards during that pre-draft process, and they did not because they lacked buzz. So if you are an under-the-radar player, a dominant receiver with great agility at a small school, Trent Taylor, Louisiana Tech, Keelan Cole, Kentucky Wesleyan. Trent Taylor was almost as prolific at the college level as Cooper Cup, but he also shared a field with Carlos Henderson at Louisiana Tech, so his dominator wasn't as high as Keelan Cole's. All three of these players are not explosive, but they're incredibly agile, and they have great hands and yards after the catch ability. That's, that receiver is always going to find a way to carve out a role on an NFL offense and be productive. Always! Go ahead and chase the explosiveness. Go ahead. Go ahead and chase Jehu Chesson. Go ahead. Throw that dart in the later rounds of rookie drafts. You're throwing it away. You might as well throw it on the ground. I'm throwing my darts on the Trent Taylors and the Keelan Coles and any receiver that looks like Cooper Cop who's not getting buzz. That's where you throw your darts in the fourth round of a rookie draft. And what's great about these players is they're so dismissed by the draft analyst community that they go undrafted in dynasty rookie drafts. And then here they are, Keelan Cole, 421 receiving yards already this season, Trent Taylor, 342. And Keelan Cole should replace Alan Hearns. I don't think Alan Hearns will be back next year. He's scheduled to be overpaid and the Jaguars can get out from under his contract without a lot of pain. So you have Allen Robinson rehabilitating a torn ACL. You have Marquise Lee going into the final year of his rookie deal. And D.D. Westbrook is the other receiver who's rising up this list. He will be in the top 10 by the end of the season. Outside of a healthy Allen Robinson, he looks like the Jaguars' best playmaker on offense. So if you put Allen Robinson at X, put D.D. Westbrook at Z, a stretch Z, slide Keelan Cole into the slot, woof! You don't need Marquise Lee. Marquise Lee becomes just as expendable as Alan Hearns. And that's stunning. I did not see the Jaguars compiling a top flight wide receiver core this quickly, but it's happened. These are also the perfect players to play on no halftime because a lot of the fantasy gamers that have been eliminated from the playoffs join no halftime so they can participate in these single player props every week just betting one player against another player. They're not familiar with Keelan Cole. They're not familiar with Trent Taylor. So if you have a great depth of knowledge of the wide receivers in the NFL, you can leverage that knowledge to gain a competitive advantage on a platform like No Halftime. So go to your app store, download No Halftime, and when you sign up, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get a 50% deposit bonus up to $50. And I won't be playing Cooper Cup this week. Cooper Cup is a trap because of the return of Robert Woods. Robert Woods, another unheralded wide receiver coming out of USC. He lacked explosiveness, same story, but had that great age-adjusted production. Incredibly productive in his sophomore season. Over 110 receptions, over 1,200 yards, and 15 total touchdowns. 15! Someone with the Rams realized, oh, Robert Woods is good at football. And that's what other teams do. They realize, oh, this Bills player is good at football. Let's go acquire him from the Bills for 50 cents on the dollar. (laughs) The Bills talent store is rated annually. It's just this year, it was rated by a team not named the New England Patriots. We'll be talking to Liz Loza from Yahoo today. She lives in LA, so we'll ask her about Robert Woods. 
I'm playing Robert Woods over Cooper Cup this week. And I'm playing Jamison Crowder, another prototypical NFL slot receiver, before I'm playing any member of this Rams passing game. Why? Look at Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson is having an exceptional season. Exceptional! We have a metric called target separation on playerprofiler.com. The average yards of separation allowed by the cornerback for every target. Patrick Peterson's .73 yards of separation at target is number three in the NFL. And his target rate, essentially the cornerback's target share, how frequently that cornerback is being targeted by opposing quarterbacks, Patrick Peterson's is 13.8%. That's number eight in the NFL. So it makes sense. He's not allowing wide receivers to separate from him, and therefore quarterbacks are not seeing open receivers covered by Patrick Peterson, and they're refusing to target him. So we have cornerback rankings on playerprofiler.com. Check them out. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And click on the season tab. And you'll see cornerback rankings. Patrick Peterson is our number six ranked quarterback. But we had a buzzard right in. Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com asking how we could have Patrick Peterson in our top 10 while Pro Football Focus has him outside their top 40. And I just shook my head. I don't know. But I was stunned. And I think I know why. Because Pro Football Focus's cornerback rankings are not really rankings. It's a list of cornerbacks sorted by grade. But a grade is not a rank. And the Patrick Peterson Pro Football Focus grade versus the Patrick Peterson Player Profiler rank illustrates the difference in our two processes. Because we assign a great premium to the cornerbacks that are not being targeted that are so smothering that opposing quarterbacks simply refuse to throw the ball in their direction. We believe that has great value, but that's clearly not being valued as highly by pro football focus. And it makes sense because if you're watching film, you can award a player high marks when they're making plays on the football when targeted. It's difficult to award that player high marks for a lack of targets. Cornerbacks need to be involved in positive events on the football field for their grade to rise quickly. Simply not being targeted doesn't move the needle on a player's grade. Again, this is intuitive because the grades are subjective and a human being is going to award more value to the player who's being targeted and breaking up passes as opposed to not being targeted at all. You don't have that visceral experience watching the pass breakup, watching the interception. It's just a void. You're being awarded for nothing. You can't expect a pro football focus analyst to grade a cornerback as highly for nothing. But we love nothing. We like nothing better than nothing. And I believe our rankings are more aligned with the goals and the positive attributes of an NFL corner. And if you watch our rankings, we're very nimble, moving players up as they improve throughout the season. You can see Chidobe Awuze. You can see Xavier Howard. It's been brought to my attention that we are much more bullish on these cornerbacks than services like Pro Football Focus. And it just makes sense. And that's because our approach to cornerback rankings isn't distorted by the subjective judgments that are inherent in the grading process. So you need to stay away from Patrick Peterson. That means not playing Josh Doxson. But that also means, by extension, Jamison Crowder's a great play. Because we know Arizona gives up a half a fantasy point above the mean per game to opposing wide receivers. And if Josh Doxson can't account for those fantasy points, who will? Washington targets in week 15 will funnel to 
Jamison Crowder. So I'm very confident playing Jamison Crowder this week. I'm also making sure Jamison Crowder is in all my draft lineups. You need to go to playdraft.com or download the app in your app store. Just type in draft, download the app, use the promo code underworld and get free entry into your first contest and set up a daily fantasy roster using a snake draft instead of the traditional salary cap method. This way, everyone has unique rosters. No one's reusing the same player. Get together with a bunch of your friends that have been eliminated from their fantasy league playoffs and start a one-week fantasy league on draft and play it the way fantasy football should be played. Now, let's go talk to Liz Loza. Let's go ask her about Jamison Crowder, Cooper Cup, and many other players heading into week 15. Follow her at Liz Loza underscore FF on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. One of my favorites, Liz Loza from Yahoo Fantasy. Liz, talk to me. Hello, Matt. I'm always a little bit nervous once you flip that mic on. I'm not quite sure which version of you I'm going to get. Yes, there's an amplified version of me is what you get. And that's why you have the outtakes. So in the outtakes, you can hear it. You can hear segments from the show that make it into the outtakes. And then you can hear the you know pre-show banter. And I'm not quite as amplified in those segments of the outtakes. So we like to give the audience the, the backstage. Don't highlight me complaining about my kid, man. <laughs> Oh, I didn't. I didn't record that part actually. Okay, good. I was I was late on the uptake. I wouldn't do that. The outtakes are meant to shine the best light possible on the guest while making me feel shame in some way. People will realize this. Mistakes by guests rarely make it in. I mean, David Kitchen, of course, we had to. We were obliged. But most of the time, they're my mistakes that I highlight in the outtakes because that's what I am. And I, you know, I'm humble. If there's anything that I am, it's humble, right? I mean, come on, right? Humble and mellow, two words to describe you immediately yes. to come to mind. Yes, yes. All right, we're going big right off the bat. Can Russell Wilson become the best quarterback in fantasy football history? <laughs> That's the first question. My answer is no, he can't. Here's why, Matt. I know you look at this season stats, right? He's averaging, he's on pace for over 4,300 passing yards and close to 600 rushing yards for the regular season. So you think, holy cow, this guy's a machine. He can do everything. But you know why he's doing everything? Because he has to. Because his defense is banged up. Because their backfield does not exist. Because the offensive line, admittedly, is always an issue. So Russell Wilson, sure, is a renaissance man of the NFL. And yes. he can do it all. Congratulations. Namaste. Is that Pete Carroll's intention moving forward? Absolutely not. The hallmark of this offense is defense and running the ball, and that's what they want to do. Now, fantasy managers who lucked into Wilson as a value buy in 2017, congratulations. The defense and the backfield fell apart, and that is why you are seeing Russell Wilson put up no points. I will say that since he entered the league in 2012— 
Russell Wilson has thrown for more yards each and every year. So he started with 3,100 yards, then 3,300, 3,400, then popped to 4,000, 4,200. He'll exceed 4,200 passing yards this season. So there is this evolution where the Seattle is relying more and more and more on Russell Wilson as that defense ages. So there's a chance that in the years ahead that this is the Russell Wilson that we'll see where he has to make up for the defense. He's wallpapering over the shortcomings in the run game and the defense. It just depends on how long it's going to take Seattle to rebuild the defense and rebuild the running game. We'll see. My argument for why he could be viewed as the greatest fantasy quarterback of all time one day is because he has a chance to log the most QB1 seasons of all time. So if he continues this pace, he'll just consistently be in that top five, or at least QB1 sure. echelon in fantasy. And if he can do that for you know 15 years... Early in his career, he did it with rushing numbers, and then as the volume increases and he stays efficient, he does it mostly with his arm as he ages. That's what you can project anyway so far looking at the numbers. That's why it's interesting, and I just love the guy. I know that he's not charismatic. Okay, I mean, he's a little bit wooden in his personality. He seems to think that he knows what he should be saying and say those things, but he just does not ooze charisma. That's the one thing that's missing. I mean, if this guy was oozing genuine charisma or if he was a wild card in interviews and in press conferences, I mean, that would be the one thing that would make it even better. The cherry on top for Russell Wilson would be this effervescent personality. That's the only thing missing with him. He's got everything else that you could want in a sportsman. He's uh, he's dead behind the eyes, for sure. And I've interviewed him. It's weird. I interviewed him at the kids, the first ever Kids, Colonial kids Sports Choice Awards. And it was the uh, year, the, the year after he won the Super Bowl. He was the Super Bowl champion. Um, interviewed him along with Earl Thomas and that really handsome bad tight end whose name escapes me. Luke Wilson? No, the other one. He's not on the team anymore. He's like really handsome bro with like short reddish hair. Um, he's in your player profile profiler comps because I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that that pro, player profiler is so deep that they have this guy on record. Nick Vanett? What? Nick Vanett? No, mm, no. I, I mean, he winked at me like he was a bro. Oh wow, he went full meathead on you. <laughs> sure, um, but I interviewed Russell, and um, basically, he's he is a marionette of a human. And then when the record light went on, you saw like kind of like he animated into life, but there was no zing behind the eyes. There was nothing there. That's it. That's that's what's missing. That's the only thing missing with him is this this the the the, the spark behind the eyes. The glean in the eye. It's not there. It's just not there with Russell Wilson. It's the only thing missing. You know who has that though is Antonio Brown. Now Antonio Brown has the whole package. Antonio Brown Dude he's on Shark Tank. Yes Antonio Brown has flair he has charisma and he's the best wide receiver I've ever seen because I was not a hardcore football fan during Jerry Rice's prime my memory is very opaque of Jerry Rice so when I think of Antonio Brown the vividness of the performances really shines through in my memory so yes this is partly some of my bias but I think we can at least say at this point 
looking at his trajectory, assuming health over the long term, that Antonio Brown looks like the best wide receiver since Jerry Rice. Would you agree? I said, well, I would agree that he looks does. Now, I was barely sentient for the beginning of Jerry Rice's career, but he gave us... Yes, I'm older. Yes. The 11, <laughs> the 11 years that he was really producing, 86 to 95, nine of those 11 years... He produced double-digit touchdown seasons. Incredible. Brown has done that for the past three years. He's on pace for at least 11 in 2017, assuming he stays healthy. And that's regular season numbers, not including the playoffs. Um, so if he can go another half a decade, you got yourself a deal. I think he can. He hasn't been hurt. He was hurt in the playoffs. He was concussed once in the playoffs. He's been questionable with a toe couple weeks this year but looking back at the injury logs on playerprofiler.com we have the medical history report and he hasn't even been on an injury report for years much less miss a game well he did have that awful toe injury a couple of weeks ago and went ham against the Bengals so I mean you know there was that he he's been banged up but he is an otherworldly talent my only you know he, he's got five more years if he can do this for another half a decade then absolutely throw him a gold jacket I am projecting him to produce at a similar level for at least the next three to four years and then taper off gradually. I think he's going to age so well. Jerry Rice played out until age 40. I think that Antonio Brown has that because he's not carrying around a 6'2 frame. I love Mm. Larry Fitzgerald and he's on a similar trajectory as well. But he has a bigger frame. I can see him lasting as long as, say, Terrell Owens did. Terrell Owens was a mega producer out to age 36. I can see Larry Fitzgerald tailing off quickly after that. But I can see Antonio Brown going even a few more years because he has that small, compact body. And he seems to take immaculate care of his strength and conditioning. And we now have modern techniques for strength and conditioning and diet that Jerry Rice did not enjoy. We have new technology with medicine that Jerry Rice did not have access to. So it's possible that Antonio Brown can play even out farther than Jerry Rice did. I mean, think about that. I'm just saying we have to use our imagination with this guy. I mean, doesn't he not inspire the imagination? He does. He does. He is like my dachshund that's 17 years old, unlike my neighbor's Akita that's like barely standing at eight. This is your argument. That's right. That's it. That's the argument. You look back through time, and most of the taller receivers exit the league a little bit earlier than the smaller receivers. So for a lot of reasons, his approach to the game on and off the field and his body type, everything really suggests that he has a chance at the longevity piece. That's why I think he's better than Randy Moss, because Randy Moss did it on the field, but He didn't put in the time off the field, and then he was flushed out of the league in his early 30s. That's not going to happen with Antonio Brown. So I'm already giving Antonio Brown credit for his off-the-field work. That's where this argument that he's the best receiver since Jerry Rice comes from. You're convinced. I can tell you're convinced. (laughs) Yes, you're convinced. Listen, our job is to project, right? Like every week we're asked to project. That's right. This seems like a fair projection given the evidence that you've put forward. But at the end of the day, we've got to wait five years to see if it bears out. Now, are you convinced that the Eagles can still win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles? I am convinced that the Eagles can win a Super Bowl if, here are the ifs, Jacksonville knocks off the Patriots. Okay. Okay. And what else? Doug Peterson decides to change his offense 
from a pass-heavy approach to leaning on the run, but not just leaning on the run in this three-headed hydra, maybe Jay Ajayo will get seven touches kind of way, but you need to ride your workhorse, who I know you have previously told me was a guy who can do a little bit of everything, but nothing quite that well. I don't agree. He's averaging 0.92 fantasy points per touch. That is incredible. It is. And I am in love with him. You're a big Jay Ajayi advocate. I know that. You think that this may be the injury that unlocks Jay Ajayi? I don't see... Uh, listen, I have long since stopped asking or expecting from rational coaching. Asking for <laughs> rational coaching. Right, right, right. I do not... Uh, even want to know what is in the mind and heart of Doug Peterson. However, it would make sense when you have a pretty fair pass rush, a pass protecting unit, you know, and again, I, some of these numbers are tough because did the unit show up well because Carson Wentz had such incredible escapability and the ability to like extend plays. Of course, that means that the off offensive line is going to look more efficient, etc. But let's say they're above average unit. And they can buy Nick Foles' time. And Nick Foles hasn't been horrible. In fact, if we look at the other pieces, he was one of the most efficient passers when targeting the tight end. And not just the tight end, but specifically the tight end out of the slot, which also happens to be where Nelson Aguilar is used. And we saw Nelson Aguilar make a big boy play in a key moment with Foles under center last week. So if Foles can do just enough, and we've got this Jim Schwartz defense that now has Ronald Darby back in the secondary, which is an upgrade. And this D-line, I think, is formidable. And we switch from being a Carson Wentz-centric offense to a Jay Ajayi ball control-led offense that relies on its defense. Then I don't know why not, why they can't win a Super Bowl other than the fact that this is a lot of work to do in a very short amount of time. I think that the NFC is too challenging. It's just not it's not plausible that a Nick Foles led offense that does not have one of these signature elite defenses. It's one thing if you have the two thousand Ravens defense or the two thousand two Buccaneers defense or the nineteen eighty five Bears defense. Okay. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. The twenty seventeen Vikings defense, because you know that's the comp. Right. The 2017 Vikings defense is good. I mean, one of the best defenses in the league. For the same reason, I don't think the Vikings are going to the Super Bowl. I don't think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to the Super Bowl because unless you have one of these generational defenses, history says you're not going to win a Super Bowl. It's just not going to happen. So I'd much rather bet on the quarterback. And we have a team in New Orleans that has a good defense and an elite quarterback. We have Aaron Rodgers coming back without a defense. Ugh. I'm going to bet on the quarterback every single time over a compilation of other pieces getting the job done. Nick Foles is not good, but that doesn't matter. Because the supporting cast, like you said, will propel him at least to fantasy relevance for the rest of the season. I think Nick Foles is going to be a top 12 quarterback every week. He's the streamer du jour. If you lost Carson Wentz, it's okay. Just make sure you go out and get Nick Foles because I think he will give you QB1 numbers the rest of the way, especially this week against the Giants that allow more fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks than any other defense in the NFL. But what about the receivers? 
how does this injury affect the receivers? Because there, if you're saying, okay, we're moving to a ball control style offense, and we're talking about the Nick Foles efficiency under center, that can't be good news for the receivers. I mean, well, the volume absolutely goes down, right? Um, And it makes Alshon Jeffrey, unfortunately, much more touchdown dependent. And I never, I don't like relying on running backs who are supposed to get the touchdowns for touchdowns. I definitely don't like relying on uh, wide receivers for that reason. So I think Jeffrey takes the biggest hit. I mentioned Aguilar. I I like the chemistry between the two. I know it's a small sample size, but again, when you look at um, Foles' efficiency when targeting players in the slot, that allows for some optimism. I think Ertz has the least hit to him, like the, the smallest downgrade to his viability moving forward. I haven't projected this week and the matchup doesn't hurt against the Giants, right? They're giving... I mean, right? I mean, this right? is so great. If you're Zach Ertz, this doesn't really affect you because of the schedule. The schedule offsets right. the quarterback downgrade, especially for Zach Ertz. I have him um, going for four for 53 and a touch this week. Right. I think that's fair because, listen, Zach Ertz is the number one receiver. And when you go back and you look at what happens when elite quarterbacks go down, the number one receiver will sustain their fantasy production because the volume tends to go up. The backup quarterback will zero in on that primary option in the read progression. In Houston, it's DeAndre Hopkins. His production has not suffered under Tom Savage. I mean, it's amazing. It's like a riddle. Like, how can you downgrade from Deshaun Watson to Tom Savage and have DeAndre Hopkins' fantasy points per game actually rise? How is that possible? It 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 it, it somehow is happening. And the same thing happened with Devontae Adams. When Aaron Rodgers went down, his fantasy points went up with Brett Hundley. And I think if you had to pick the number one option in that Eagles passing game, it's actually Zach Ertz. He has the highest target share, and I think that the offense is built around him being one of the primary options on a lot of plays. And then with the schedule, yeah, it's fine. He's slotted in where he's been all year, right behind Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey in the rankings. So we covered a good team in the Eagles. Let's talk about a bad team, about the Browns. What do you think of the Browns? I liked the Browns last week. I had them winning in survival, actually. Oh, wow. Love yeah. it. Love that call. Didn't work, but I appreciate the, the courage. <laughs> For three and three quarter quarters, it was working until Deshaun Kaiser did a Deshaun Kaiser thing and threw the ball at God instead of a receiver. Just threw it up into the air, hoping that his guardian angel in the spirit of Christmas would swoop it up and create a holiday miracle he didn't um so god has one target on the year (laughs) i mean the dude does not give with both hands let's be real (laughs) (laughs) but but uh i do think that they are an interesting squad josh gordon looked all kinds of vintage two weeks ago he was wildly to use one of your favorite terms inefficient right they force fed him 11 targets but you saw in a softer matchup Corey Coleman get much more of that share. And I think, to me, that was a promising thing. To see Corey Coleman, who we believe, right, is an ascendant talent, we're not all of a sudden like, oh, Corey Coleman out with hot garbage. Josh Gordon is here. Corey Coleman, that's a duo, like a legit duo. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Yes, that's true. And the fact that Kaiser could understand that 
and decide not to force feed Gordon, but could get through his progressions and say like, oh, you know what, Coleman has the better matchup. I'm going to throw it here. And there was enough chemistry to make that happen. I think, in fact, they both had six targets or seven and six. So there was an equal target share between them. Um, and I believe that I, I, they both scored. So to me, the fact that this... They had the same stat line. Ex- oh, yeah, exactly. Right. So they, I, I like... To me, that that's that's helpful, right? The problem is the quarterback, but I don't even know if I'm bl- blaming the quarterback so much because Hugh Jackson has basically put a couple of fried eggs and a whisker together and called it his brain for the entire season. <laughs> Dude has migraines anyway, so he's in a world of hurt. You have an average running back in Isaiah. I don't, I don't think Isaiah Crowell is like some sort of ascendant talent, but he's not. He's usable, and you have some nice defensive pieces in McCourty. And Miles Garrett. And when you put those things together, all of a sudden the Browns don't look so brown. No, their offense looks good. I mean, their offense is stacked with young, explosive talents. I mean, that's what you want. David Njoku at tight end. You have Duke Johnson at running back as a satellite back. I don't think Isaiah Crowell is anything above replacement, but he's still an adequate between the tackles grinder. When you go down the depth chart for the Browns, you're talking about average to above average players every step of the way and they're all very young Deshaun Kaiser's 21 years old Mm -hmm. David Njoku's 21 years old Corey Coleman's 23 Josh Gordon's 25 but he's played the number of games that a 23 year old would have played (laughs) right so not a lot of football on any of these players resumes except Joe Thomas and that's what they have a Joe Thomas anchored offensive line so I'm really excited to see this offense coalesce and develop over the years, and they just have to continue to build the defense in the draft. They have multiple picks in the first round this year, at least five picks in the top three rounds, at least five picks in the first three rounds. And if they can smartly, I don't know what's going to happen because now all of a sudden we have the new general manager, John Dorsey, already criticizing and dismissing the philosophy of the previous regime like so it didn't take very long for the current regime to start mocking the analytics group that that built this foundation that John Dorsey is now going to exploit i was personally frustrated because the like the central part of the metrics uh, moneyball sort of philosophy is that evolution takes time right like you're not going to hit on these the idea is to pull as many options and throw as much shit eventually excuse me against a wall and the odds dictate that some of it will stick so if you don't see that process through you're not going to reap the rewards of said experiment right the owner jim haslam didn't believe in this moneyball philosophy Moneyball was the buzzword a couple of years ago. Everyone wanted to get in on Moneyball, 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 Moneyball. So he just went out and hired a bunch of guys with Moneyball on their resume, essentially, and brought them in. But he never actually believed in the philosophy. So as soon as it turned bad, if he doesn't share the philosophical underpinnings of his staff, then the staff is going to get fired. And that's what happened. So I'm excited to see this team blossom. I think they will. I think they're pointed in the right direction. I think they're coming. And I think that what's needed now is a heavy investment in the defense in this upcoming draft. If they invest heavily in the early rounds in the defense, because defensive players can contribute right away, especially the ones with the high round draft capital. A lot of them make an impact right away. So if you can draft four premium defensive players in the first three rounds to bolster that defense 
and just allow the offense to continue to develop on its current trajectory, I think this could be an 8-8 eight and eight team next year. That's how fast I think the turnaround could happen. And a football guy <laughs> is going to get more credit than those that actually built the ship that will eventually sail. Now, looking at this week, this Browns passing game, it's interesting in that without Jimmy Smith in the secondary for the Ravens, Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman will be matching up with Brandon Carr and Marlon Humphrey. Now, Brandon Carr has played a full complement of snaps this year, and he's been inefficient. He's been a sub-replacement starting cornerback in the NFL. But Marlon Humphrey is a 21-year-old rookie cornerback who was a first-round pick in 2017. So this is what I'm talking about. A guy like Marlon Humphrey is the perfect example of a player you draft in the first round, comes in at age 21, and starts to make an impact. Ben Roethlisberger threw for over 500 yards last week. Marlon Humphrey played a 90% snap share, and he only allowed six receiving yards. Think about that. That's a riddle, too. How is that even possible? I don't even know. But he's been great when called upon. So the question is, who will he cover? If he covers Josh Gordon and Brandon Carr ends up covering Corey Coleman, this could be a boom week for Coleman. I mean, I love this point. And Corey Coleman is on one of my, and I we're in agreement here, I, every Friday I do a deep sleepers piece where I highlight five deeper guys. Now, you don't want to get too crazy in week 15 because you're not, you know, last week I talked about Byron Marshall because he had a nice PPR floor in Washington and then he went and got hurt. So I'm trying in the playoffs not to get too dart throwy. Right. Corey Coleman is only $13 in, in Yahoo's daily game. And he's not being, he's being started in under 40% of leagues at this point, which, which I find fascinating. This is the week though, that I think he's going to draw Carr, and they're going to put Humphrey, who is a superior talent on Gordon. Maybe Gordon can make something happen, but I would rather put my money on Coleman, who we already know is good, and Carr, who we already know to be, to, to quote you, is, is inefficient. It's a very nice way of saying it, right? <laughs> Some people go with a hot garbage. I go, uh, sub-replacement, uh, inefficient. Even the bad players try to show some respect because they are the gladiators in the middle of the spectacle sacrificing their bodies for our entertainment. Speaking of, Alvin Kamara sacrificed his brain for the cause last week, and a lot of fantasy teams that were counting on Kamara lost in the playoffs. Did any of your Alvin Kamara teams survive last week? Don't have any Alvin Kamara teams, Matt. Not a one. Good honesty. Good honesty from Liz Loza. I appreciate that. Yes. It's okay. It's okay. He's the guy that got a lot of people in the playoffs, and now they're gone. So now you don't have to have to worry about facing an Alvin Kamara team, most likely. Well, I will also say that um, I advanced. I'm in seven leagues this year. Four of my teams went to the playoffs. None of them had Alvin Kamara, and they all advanced to the second round. So you do not need an Alvin Kamara, though, obviously. It would have been beneficial. Right. He was the signature league-winning running back up until he was concussed. Damn it! Now, Alvin! <laughs> but thinking about these Saints running backs, the Saints running backs are such a boon for fantasy points. It's like a natural spring of fantasy points down there in New Orleans. In the running game in particular, because Drew Brees leverages the running backs in the passing game so much. Remember Tim Hightower? I mean... Come on, Tim Hightower won a lot of people fantasy championships over the last couple seasons. 
Who is this season's Tim Hightower? Is it Mike Davis? Is it Rod Smith? Who? I mean, Rod Smith is interesting, and I want to have a conversation about him, but not in this question. I think Jamal Williams is more that guy. Well, Jamal Williams seems like he's going to ride this out. He's the guy. He can explode through the hole on the downhill runs. I mean... This is where I feel like draft Twitter likes to have short-term memory because however many weeks ago, everybody was like, well, Williams is a jag. Aaron Jones is a better football player. Look at Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is the guy. But that's true. But we don't run the Packers, damn it. But you don't get to say, I loved Williams, man. And then like, oh man, I loved it. You can love them both. But like Jamal Williams is the guy now. But do you believe Jamal Williams to be a superior talent to Aaron Jones? And it's okay to say, I don't know. No, no. And if you do, then this is revisionist history. Right. Aaron Jones beat out Jamal Williams and then suffered a knee injury, and he clearly is not the same guy after suffering a medium-severity knee injury for a running back. That's a big deal. And for Jamal Williams, yes, I've seen some of these long runs, and he hasn't exactly broken tackles on these long runs. He's gone in untouched. He's been running through incredibly wide running lanes without Aaron Rodgers keeping the defense honest. This is why Jamal Williams has to be respected in fantasy, even if you don't believe he's hashtag good at football. You just have to play him. And this is the difference between 2015 Matt Kelly and 2017 Matt Kelly. 2015 Matt Kelly would go down lamenting Jamal Williams' existence and insisting that any week now we would see a reversion to the mean and the real Jamal Williams would expose himself. Well, you know you know what I meant there. Mm-hmm. That's been the biggest change in my approach to fantasy football is when I see a running back getting an 80% opportunity share on an offense that's scoring points and he's scoring touchdowns, I just have to ride it out. I'm not the guy that's volunteering to fly into this headwind any longer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, love you. Riding Jamal Williams. I'm not sorry. But that, but you're doing something that I feel like draft t- Twitter refuses to do, which is saying, I don't believe this person to be as talented. However, for fantasy purposes, this is the workhorse that I am using. And that is a fine distinction. I think sometimes... We just get so worked up about why Jarek McKinnon should be the guy, even if Latavius Murray is the guy. And so, you know, to your original question, like, who's this season's Tim Hightower? Well, I think it's Jamal Williams because he's not as talented as Aaron Jones, but the circumstances around Aaron Jones have made Jamal Williams the better player in the same way that Tim Hightower is not as talented as Mark Ingram, but allowed him to run ahead of Mark Ingram. That's why I'm making the distinction. You're exactly right. Jamal Williams is this year's Tim Hightower in every way. He's on a prolific offense, now tethered to an elite quarterback, and he is getting copious touches, especially red zone touches. He has five touchdowns in the last three games. Incredible even though he's not the most talented running back on his team. I mean, this is, this he is Tim Hightower 2015. Yep. And I do have him on a team that is obviously without Alvin Kamara. He and Alvin Kamara will probably produce at a similar level the remainder of the season. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to admit that, but you have to chase opportunity share. That's what I do now with running backs. I'm done. I'm done overemphasizing a running back's talent 
because that position is so situation based and it's just at the whim of the coach what touch distribution he wants to allocate. And if he wants to give Jamal Williams 20 touches and Aaron Jones one touch, (laughs) then that's just the reality we have to live in. The same is true in Tampa. I would rather the coach just commit to Peyton Barber. Let's see what he can do with a full workload. Can he absorb 20-plus carries per game and be efficient. That would be great. That would be super cool to see. I'd love to explore that possibility with Peyton Barber, but we're not afforded that because Doug Martin is there. Who do you want to carry the mail in Tampa? Well, I, like you, would love to see Barber do it, and I actually think there's a better chance of Barber of us seeing Barber, not just because Martin has been inefficient and because he fumbled and then we saw Cotter turn towards Barber last week, but Barber's, uh, but Cotter's on the hot seat. He is. Right now. And if I'm, if I'm a GM or, or an owner and I'm thinking, ah, my, this Tampa Bay Bucks offense was, this team rather was just on hard knocks. They should be ascending. We've given him all the pieces. Right. This coach is fighting with my, with my, with my franchise quarterback, who's a POS anyway, but regardless, um, I would like to see see my head coach do something he hasn't done because what he has done hasn't worked. So I think it would be in Cotter's best interest, not because I'm interested in seeing Barber from a fantasy perspective, but because the definition of insanity, right, is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. So here's what's going to happen when you run Martin. It's not going to work, and you are going to get fired. Please make that so. I am not <laughs> a dirt cutter enthusiast. He is one of the old school football, football, rough, rough, rough guys that should get together with John Dorsey and they can just all get together and and just do football, football football football-y things all day. Peyton Barber is better, is a better version of Jamal Williams. Sure. And you won't hear this very often. Peyton Barber is better than Jamal Williams? Yeah, he is. He's over 10 pounds heavier and he has a better agility score. That is hugely indicative of of his ability because an 1121 agility score for a running back that's 228 pounds is exceptional so you have exceptional size adjusted agility you compare that with jamal williams who's only 212 pounds his agility score is 1178 11th percentile and as i mentioned the most predictive of the workout metrics for running backs is agility score you'd rather have the big guy who's more nimble between the tackles in peyton barber carrying the ball than jamal williams but the packers simply have a better running game than Tampa does. But the one time Peyton Barber was given a Jamal Williams level workload, what happened? He went over 100 yards. That's what happens. So yes, Peyton Barber has been underrated all along. And what's amazing about this whole Peyton Barber experience in Tampa is that we may have never seen him play. An undrafted rookie running back is a coin flip whether or not he ever gets a real opportunity in the league. Look at Mike Davis. Mike Davis was resurrected. People forgot he existed. Oh, South Carolina Mike Davis? Yes, South Carolina Mike Davis. The fate of a running back in the NFL twists in the wind. Clearly, when you watch them play, and even if you go back and look at the metrics, okay, Peyton Barber is good. He deserves to be on a roster, and he deserves to get carries, and he certainly deserves more carries than Doug Martin right now. But because of locker room politics, contract value, because of draft capital, all these extenuating circumstances drive running back opportunity, oftentimes more than the talent profile. 
And seeing what Peyton Barber is doing in Tampa, it makes me wonder how many running backs are out there that never got an opportunity, that were on practice squads, that were number three options, and were cut eventually, never picked up again. They were 27 years old, and they had to go find another job. And that's terrifying. Well, I also remember last year, as you were speaking, Cotter has a reluctance or resistance to using Barber because... At the, I want to say five weeks into the season last year, right? A little shortly after a month into the season, after Martin went down, there was an op or not went down, but had his issues. Um, there was an opportunity to use Barber, and instead, I remember voraciously stumping for Barber because it made no sense to me that a coach would. Give Jaquiz Rogers, right? Who you know? I'm, how, what is he? Five six and under two hundred pounds, and he's unathletic. He's not even fast. No, four point six. Uh, he has a four a four six forty. Um, and why he would get thirty touches? It just seemed bananas to me. I was like, oh, this is Barber's the guy. That's your pickup. He's if you look at the profiles, this is your guy. And Connor didn't turn to him then. So there's clearly a reluctance which I would hope he has a, a come to Yahweh moment about now and thinks about his uh, his employment and maybe that's motivation to change. 143 total yards against Green Bay, four for four when targeted in week 13 for Peyton Barber. Give him the football. Let's see. Let's see what he can do. I didn't even know he could catch. I had no idea he could catch, but he's converted all but one of his targets this season. So I'm excited to see what this guy can do. And it's why I like Dynasty Leagues, because you can find guys like Peyton Barber on playerprofiler.com and stash them on your taxi squad and just see what happens. Just see if the depth chart opens up. If you can stockpile your taxi squad with players that look like Peyton Barber, that's how you can win in Dynasty Leagues, because then you call these players up in the fantasy playoffs when all these teams are ravaged with injuries and all of a sudden now you're starting a Peyton Barber and he's out there running for 140 yards and it helps you win a matchup in the playoffs. It really does illustrate the beauty of the Dynasty League format. Now, I own Marcus Mariota in a lot of Dynasty Leagues. Mm. What the hell happened? I don't know. I didn't buy in. I don't own him anywhere. God, you're showing off right now. No, I'm not. All I, I, This, to me, Tennessee has always been this exotic smash mouth run first offense. And I just, they didn't look like a unit that was going to pass enough to be fantasy relevant. And so. That's all you need to say. That's all you need to say is that you follow the opportunities. You follow the targets with wide receivers. You follow the attempts with quarterbacks. And if the coach is coming out and saying, we're a run first team and they have both DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry on the roster. It makes sense that you would just pass on that quarterback, especially in redraft. My problem is, in the long run, I love Marcus Mariota. In the long run, I think that at his core, he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league. And there's been a confluence of factors that have conspired against him this season. I just have to ride this out with him. I erred in starting him too much. I should have benched him weeks before. So sometimes your faith in a player's talent profile can lead you to making the wrong start-sit decision. It can also, because I think everybody, or not everybody, but the, the debate was Winston or Mariota, right? Like of these two guys, which side are you on? Team Winston, Team Mariota. Um, and for purely football reasons, I was on Team Winston, right? Because he had this giant, albeit inefficient, but huge red zone threat in Mike Evans. 
For fantasy purposes, yes, you were going Winston. Right, For exactly. Um, however, that didn't work out either. Jameis Winston's just a weirdo. He is a weirdo. <laughs> I agree with that. Right? I mean, he's just a weirdo. Get out of here. I've had enough of Jameis Winston. I mean, g just get out of here. I had Jameis Winston on one Dynasty League team. I traded him. I said, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. J -j -j enough. Just get out of here. If you were starting a franchise today, in real life, you would choose Mariota. Correct. I just wouldn't choose that coaching staff, and I might allow him some like eric decker this is the, i love that going into the season oh he's that was a big ad i know i was i bought in i bought in i bought it they were getting davis and decker i i bought in I'm, I'm a fool let's play a game real or fake i'm gonna modulate my voice later so it sounds cool so most people laugh when i say that it's supposed to be funny <laughs> so got a fishing for a laugh yeah, i'm pathetic all right Case Keenum. Fake. Fake. All right, yeah, we'll rapid fire. Rod Smith. Real. I like his versatility. Um, I love that he can run through the tackles, but also definitely catch passes. I like his movement on the field. I don't, the only thing I don't like about him is that the coaching staff only wants to move towards him when they are game script negative. And I can't predict that. And I was certainly wrong about it two weeks ago when the Washington Redskins and Jameis Crowder single-handedly crapped the bed and allowed Alfred Morris to put up a hundred yards. Otherwise, I will turn to Rod Smith every time because without Ezekiel Elliott, which is when you would do this exercise, the Dallas Cowboys should be running from behind. I don't know if Rod Smith is real or fake. I tend to believe that the unathletic running back with almost no college production has to be fake, but he's shown some explosiveness. And we don't have a burst score. We don't have an agility score for Rod Smith on playerprofiler.com. And what I'm seeing on the field is an explosive player. So I would rather the team give the ball to an explosive playmaker than Alfred Morris, who's fine. Alfred Morris will get you what's blocked. Yes, he won't fumble. I understand. I know why the coaches like the Alfred Morris prototype. And that's really the theme of this show is us lamenting NFL coaches skewing the touches toward the running back prototypes that we despise. <laughs> Then we just want to go away. I would rather see Rod Smith because why not? What do you have to lose at this point? See what you have at this guy, right? I mean, come on. I mean, Washington's doing this out of necessity with Samaj P. Ryan. Is he real or fake? Fake. Oh, what about Cooper Cup? I don't want to answer this one because I know that your feelings about him are very passionate. So I feel like... I'm on board. Oh, are you? Oh, I'm on board. I have come to terms with changing my mind on certain players, and I now have a threshold what a player needs to do to get me to change my mind, and Cooper Cup has reached that threshold. He did earlier in the season, actually. I was very early, just threw out all my papers on Cooper Cup, just threw them in the garbage, just crumpled up all the paper I had on Cooper Cup, just threw it away, and I said, I'm wrong. I, I thought about you. So I have become a Rams fan um, over the past two years, even with Jeff Fisher, and um, when Cooper Cup dropped that touchdown in the end zone, yes. I thought of you, and I may have, at Yahoo, in the bullpen on a Sunday, whispered, oh, the Matt Kelly curse. <laughs> He's a good little football player. He's a cheese ball. You can't resist. You can't resist. He's the white angel of death. 
he's going to get you this week too. He's going to get people this week because a lot of people will be starting Cooper Cup based on his most recent performances. And what do you think he's going to do with Robert Woods back? Cooper Cup is going to go back to his role as a slot receiver only, and he'll give you five catches for 45 yards, and you'll be wishing you had started Robert Woods. That is going to happen this week. Love you, Cooper Cup. Not starting you. What about Tyrell Williams? Real or fake as what? As a wide receiver too? Very real. Is this a guy that we should be excited about, or was last week an aberration? If he were a little faster, it would be a lot easier for me to say real. But... You see Travis Benjamin being used in these gadgety ways because he does have more speed. And so it's hard for me watching the games to say, like, I I just can't predict this usage. And so if we're looking from a fantasy perspective, like, I like the guy's talent. I'll probably roster him. Maybe he's like a a matchup-dependent flex, a situational flex for me. But to roll him out as a wide receiver, too, every week, I'm saying fake. As a wide receiver, too, on an NFL team, I'm saying real. If that makes sense. It does. And you made a great point. I underestimated how the presence of Travis Benjamin would throttle Tyrell Williams in the offseason. Because that's certainly happening. Because you have a field stretcher that runs a 4-3-5 running the same route tree as Tyrell Williams, of course, Travis Benjamin will cannibalize some of his targets. That's one of the reasons why Tyrell Williams has been so volatile this season, the presence of Travis Benjamin. I just thought Travis Benjamin would go away. I mean, this is one of my failings as a fantasy analyst, is just wishing some of these auxiliary players would go away that (laughs) I know in the back of my mind will probably affect this player I like, but it's just a blind spot in my analysis. I simply ignore this auxiliary factor that will throttle the opportunity of this player I like and just assume, just assume that oh, this player is going to go away. Oh, the coaches, the quarterback, they know Tyrell Williams is better. They'll make sure they focus all their attention on him. No, that's not how it works. What about Eric Ebron? Real or fake? Oh, faker than a Gucci on Canal Street. <laughs> yes! I've been to Canal Street. I've seen those Gucci's. And you are them, <laughs> Eric Ebron. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, 10 catches? Are you kidding me? What the hell was that? You were benched, and then you were dropped, and then, at that point, that's when you decided to give us 10 catches. Oh, fuck you, Eric Ebron. Sure. And, by the way, the Bears defense allowing the fifth fewest points to opposing tight ends on the season. I have Ebron projected for four catches, 41 yards, and nothing else. There it is. That's a very fair projection. That's right in line with what we have. Is it time to cash in your Robbie Anderson chips? Because of McCown, huh? Well, unsustainable touchdown production and the downgrade from Josh McCown to Bryce Petty. I mean, it seems like a double whammy is about to hit Robbie Anderson. Right. So I I feel like the regression is happening a little bit. It it was a great run. Um, Robbie Anderson, I have a a nice affection for. He was one of the few lotto tickets that hit for me in this preseason because Eldrick Robinson and A.J. Derby didn't exactly pan out. But Robbie Anderson was one of my deep pulls. I have him in a league that did not advance to the the playoffs. Um, But sure, I think at this point, you should probably, again, similar to what we, not on the same level, but similarly to what we talked about with the Eagles, like this offense is going to become a run first offense. They were surprised to have a quarterback as efficient and productive as they did in the first place. Todd Bowles is a defensive minded coach. I, even though I'm sure they're going to want to see what they can get out of valuation, give me a break. 
Robbie Anderson's going to get like four targets a game. It's sad. It's sad. But also, you can't even think about starting Robbie Anderson this week. I wouldn't start Robbie Anderson this week, even if Josh McCown were his quarterback, because he'll match up with Marshawn Lattimore. Marshawn Lattimore, point zero one four fantasy points allowed per snap. 1.30 fantasy points allowed per target. These are small numbers. 5.4 fantasy points allowed per game for Marshawn Lattimore. These are all top 10 fantasy points allowed metrics. Robbie Anderson stands no chance at being productive this week. Austin Severian Jenkins, same thing, right? I mean, he's just, forget it. He, I think he's also just cursed. Like somebody's got a, a ASJ voodoo doll somewhere and they're just putting little pins in it every week to prevent him from... Yeah, in week 15, we already have the pin. It's the Bryce Petty pin, sure. right? That's the pin <laughs> in the voodoo doll this week is <laughs> Bryce Petty. On the other end of the spectrum, right, is Adam Thielen. Because we talked about how Alvin Kamara is that signature league-winning running back. Mm. Adam Thielen is the signature league-winning wide receiver for 2017. Anyone else you have in mind, or is he a lock for that title? You know who's surprised, and I know you have feelings about this guy as well, um, Marvin Jones. He really did. He really did. Marvin Jones, really impressed. He also has an unsustainable TD rate, but still, I mean, he's been good. He hit a wall in a real way last year, which was really upending, really disheartening. And I thought with the, I love Kenny Galladay all in on the baby Tron narrative. And I thought his presence would eventually over the midpoint of the season, push Jones out. The injury to Galladay obviously didn't help that maturation um, blossom at a nice rate. But regardless, um, on Thanksgiving, when <laughs> he fell into the end zone twice with Xavier Rhodes in his coverage, the only two touchdowns that Xavier Rhodes, who by the way has AJ Green this week, beware Green owners. Um, I I was stunned. And that's when I gave, threw up my hands. I said, I, I quit. Fine. Every week, start Jones. I'm done. We have Devin Funchess ranked ahead of A.J. Green this week. Let me say that again. We have Devin Funchess ranked ahead of A.J. Green this week. So sue me. (laughs) This is what I'm doing, and that's the rankings, and don't at me. Marvin Jones' volume does decrease with the presence of Kenny Galladay. It's just a fact. You look at the splits. And he doesn't get the same volume that Golden Tate gets. And that's partly what we talked about with Tyrell Williams and Travis Benjamin, is that Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones run a similar route tree. They're the outside wide receivers. The presence of Kenny Galladay doesn't really impact Golden Tate much at all, but it does affect Marvin Jones. And that's why even though Marvin Jones is scoring 14-plus fantasy points per game, we don't have him in the top 20 this week, and I don't think we're going to have him in the top 20 moving forward, even though he's number two in the NFL in completed air yards, and he's number six in our production premium metric. So Marvin Jones has been giving us fantasy points above expectation so far this season, and that's what you want, right? For wide receivers, you want air yards and efficiency, okay? He's been great in all phases, but against Chicago this week, there are definitely fantasy teams that are in the playoffs right now that need to bench Marvin Jones because they simply have better options. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at their matchup. But I'm just conflicted. It's different with LA, the Chargers. Who fucking cares about Travis Benjamin? But I like Kenny Galladay. 
So I'm legitimately conflicted about what's going on in this Detroit passing game. I can't just say, oh, well, just make Kenny Galladay go away. No, I really like Kenny Galladay too. Shit, I like all these guys. I would just say, you know, when you look at the game last week against Tampa Bay, I mean, that should have been a game in which Matt Stafford dismantled an already barely mantled defense. And he didn't. Um, and I think I think Jones only had four catches in that one. No, three catches for 64 yards. Okay. He only had four targets. That's the problem. That's the problem, Liz. That matchup is a more plus matchup than the Bears, even without Kyle Fuller and a pass rush. So I see your point, but I would have to say, like, what Jones has is an incredible catch radius that he has showed off and an ability to just get open in a real way. I mean, he's on the field for 100% of the snaps all the time. So I'd, I'd want to see for, okay, let's, I mean, I know this is another guy you want to talk about, Zay Jones or Marvin Jones. Oh, I'd much rather have Marvin Jones. Right. But I think people get, like, they get all sneaky, like, oh, wow, a wide receiver one with an opportunity who's shown flashes versus this guy who, you know. Here's a guy I'd rather start over Marvin Jones this week, Jamison Crowder. I think Jamison Crowder is going to get twice the number of targets that Marvin Jones will see because they'll be forced to funnel targets to Jamison Crowder because Patrick Peterson is going to erase Josh Doxson on the outside. And teams that face the Cardinals Mm. are heavily targeting Tyron Matthew in the slot. And that's where Jamison Crowder operates. If no Jordan Reed, Jamison Crowder will be a target hog this week against Tyron Matthew. So that's an example where I'm going to go ahead and follow the targets, even though Marvin Jones has been much more efficient this season. I think the other thing working in Crowder's benefit is I touched on a little earlier, Byron Marshall also out. So there's no there's no check down option. Now he is the check down option. There's no secondary check down option, not without Chris Thompson or Byron Marshall available. And that offensive line is going to mean, regardless of the matchup, that Cousins is going to be checking down a couple, more than a few times a game. Think about it. Quarterbacks are scoring a lot of fantasy points against the Cardinals, but wide receivers matched up with Patrick Peterson are only getting a 12% target share. I mean, Patrick Peterson's target rate is exceptionally low for a cornerback with a full-time snap share. Well, what does that mean? It means Jamison Crowder is going to get double-digit targets this week, and that's the guy I'm going to go ahead and start. And the concept that we talked about with Detroit, how a player we like in Galladay is cannibalizing targets from another player we like in Marvin Jones, the same thing is happening in Minnesota because... I love Stephon Diggs, but I also like Adam Thielen. And now I'm benching Stephon Diggs because it's clear Adam Thielen is the focal point. And we just have to come to terms with it. Love you, Adam Thielen, but I would rather see Stephon Diggs receive more targets. But I'm powerless to control this. We need to be realistic and say the passing game runs through Adam Thielen. And Stephon Diggs is now a secondary option. I think that that's true. Two things. Delaney Walker had nine targets against Arizona, illustrating your point, um, working away from Patrick Peterson last week. So that makes sense for Crowder this week. Um, I don't think Stephon Diggs is healthy. I don't think he's fully healthy and back from that groin issue. That's right. Um, And that's why his electricity he just he's not as explosive this is why watching tape is important he sure he looks healthy enough but that is he's a speedster he's an after the catch guy and he just doesn't I think have the goods right now and I think the coaching staff knows that and so that's adding to Adam Thielen's volume and I would warn people about 
next year drafting Adam Thielen at the at the price that he will inevitably be at next year because you're going to have a regression and a letdown assuming Diggs gets back to health. And who knows with Dalvin Cook next year what this offense might look like too, by the way. I've suspected this, and thank you for the confirmation, that Stephon Diggs is not backed 100% from that injured groin. And the groin injury notoriously impacts wide receiver performance. I read a study about how impactful the various types of injuries are to players that are playing through them. And the groin injury throttled performance more than almost any other injury to a wide receiver. So groin injury really is the kiss of death for a receiver. And even if they come back and they're playing through it, that doesn't mean you need to project them as if they're healthy. And in the case of Stephon Diggs, he's clearly not. Now, what's up with Kenny Britt? He signs with the Patriots. He didn't look like himself with the Browns. Why do the Patriots sign Kenny Britt? Because they can. Why are they the only ones making these moves that are just so clearly the right move? But they are able to motivate players. I mean, are you going to play for Bill Belichick and the chance at a ring? Are you going to play for Hugh Jackson and the chance of winning maybe a game? I'm not saying it's right, but like there's certainly more. The carrot is much larger when put in front of someone by Bill Belichick than by any member of the Cleveland Browns organization. It's all reward with no risk. It's all potential reward, zero risk with Kenny Britt. If he flashes, they get him cheap in 2018. It's just got to be maddening for the other teams in the NFL to see the Patriots stockpile talent, and Kenny Britt is a talent, at value. That's the key. It's not just that they're acquiring the talent they're getting the talent at value the rams did this with robert woods that was a very patriots like signing by the rams to go out and get a wide receiver from buffalo which is the Patriots' specialty harvest the talent from buffalo the rams said no 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 no. we're the patriots west we are going to specialize in mining wide receiver talent from Buffalo. And Robert Woods has been more productive than Sammy Watkins, but for some reason, I don't hear any buzz about Robert Woods' return this week. Why? I, d- I don't think people like the matchup. Oh, come on. Seattle doesn't have any cornerbacks left. Oh, that's not true. You like Shaq Griffin. I like Shaq Griffin, yes, but they're now allowing 4.48 fantasy points above the mean to opposing wide receivers. This is not the Seattle Seahawks defense we've been accustomed to. They're allowing wide receivers to gash them, and Robert Woods was the number one option before he went down. So I'm excited about Robert Woods. I'm flying out to best-case scenario in Week 15 with Robert Woods. I don't need to see him play. I don't even... He doesn't need to prove that he's healthy to me. I'm just going to go ahead and plug him in there. I think it's fair and daily. Um, I, I've been, I own Sammy, Sammy Watkins, and I've been impressed with what he's been able to do in the stead of Woods. Um, but I, I do think also this week, I mean, you've mentioned the inefficiencies uh, of the secondary in Seattle. I do think Shaq Griffin's impressive, like just watching him play. Isn't it cool how you see the workout metrics translated on the field with a player like a Shaq Griffin where you go to player profile and you're like, oh, wow, this guy, he's an incredible athlete. Mm -hmm. Look at that. And then sure enough, boom, there he is. What an incredible deflection. Also, uh, Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright are both banged up. So there's more injuries than just those in the secondary. It's so bad. I really feel bad for Seattle. Yeah, I'm crying. I'm crying 
lots of tears. I'm so I'm so sorry oh, about. Oh wow, her. yes, that those are genuine tears we're seeing. Yes, oh the sarcasm is just flowing right into my headset. I mean, are the tears effect as well? I mean, do you think he has little fake tear ducts that pump out saline solution onto his cheeks? And then maybe, maybe like there's a varnish on his cheek so that the the wood beneath isn't warped from the saline solution or stained in a weird way. Fake Russell Wilson. I love this idea of this Russell Wilson mannequin that we've created. That's yeah. really what he is. So you are absolutely a Rams fan. I could tell with just visceral reaction to me empathizing with the Seattle Seahawks. I love them. But you're not threatened by the 49ers, right? You can still appreciate Marquise Goodwin. I can appreciate Marquise Goodwin. I also am a Chicago native. So there's part of me that's excited for Jimmy Garoppolo as a fellow Chicago native. And I'm not that threatened because while I do enjoy, or at least for the past two weeks, have watched, enjoying watching uh, Jimmy Garoppolo thread defenses, there's no red zone threats. <laughs> Come on. No, Trent Taylor? Yeah, no, no. They don't, that's a great point. I never thought, I've never considered that. They have no one in the red zone in San Francisco. No. Nobody. No, that, I mean, you had George Kittle two weeks ago with the ball bouncing off his hand in the end zone. Garrett Selleck. Yes, Garrett Selleck is the de facto red zone option in San Francisco. Yep. That's hashtag sad right there. But Marquise Goodwin is exactly what we talked about with Shaq Griffin. It's where you get to see the workout metrics on paper translated onto the field. That's a beautiful thing. I, I like Goodwin. My issue is that he doesn't score touchdowns. He's electric and fast, and that's wonderful. Um, but I would rather have slow and big because they catch touchdowns for fantasy purposes, not for casual viewing reasons, than speedy and mighty and accelerative if that's a word. It's not a word, <laughs> okay. but I'll agree with you. 116 yards in week five, uh, no touchdowns. Uh, 73 yards in week 12, no touchdowns. 99 yards, uh, no touchdowns. In week 14, 106 yards, uh, no touchdowns. I mean, again, this is like a riddle. How is he doing this? How is he compiling all these yards and never actually touching the end zone? I, I know it, it, you would imagine, right? Like if regression works, then he would be due, right? That's the phrase he's due, except he's five, eight. He's a five, eight Olympic sprinter. I would rather have Devin Funches. Of course. Oh, don't, don't. Yes. Devin Funches this week, please. If you value your fantasy team and you like winning, play Devin Funches. Any chance for Zay Jones this week? Is this a breakout week for Zay Jones? You know, I like Deontay Thompson more. I like Zay Jones. I fell in love with Zay Jones at the Senior Bowl. He should have had three touchdowns. Incredible catch radius. I know I know you like Zay Jones. That's why I was giving you this opportunity to tout Zay Jones. And now you've pivoted to Deontay Thompson. I love your style, Liz. Love the pivot. <laughs> well, I think when you look at this season, um, you know, and I was a Bears fan, so I had a little bit more. I watched Deontay Thompson a little bit more. I just think that Deontay Thompson has better rapport with Taylor who he really is fast he is a big play threat yeah probably a bigger play threat at this point in his career because he has experience and he understands the nuances of the game better than zay jones i agree with you i think that if you're looking for a splash play a hail mary inexpensive wide receiver in dfs you go deontay thompson I like it more than Zay Jones. Higher risk, higher reward. Now, who's this week's Trey Burton, the tight end streamer that you think can go out, maybe score two touchdowns? Well, two touchdowns. 
I don't know, maybe. Best case scenario. Who are you streaming at tight end? I've got Ben Watson this week. I'm rolling with Charles Clay. For the same reasons we talked about with Deontay Thompson, we have Kelvin Benjamin is playing through a knee injury. Zay Jones has looked out of his depth in the starting lineup. So what does Tyrod Taylor do? Oh, he relies on his trusted tight end. I mean, that's the one guy you can trust in Buffalo is Charles Clay. And this is a matchup I love. I don't often talk about the matchups a whole lot, but I do like the Charles Clay matchup. Miami gives up over two fantasy points per game above the mean to opposing tight ends. And their cornerbacks are playing better. So if you assume Xavier Howard smothers Kelvin Benjamin and or Zay Jones, then I think targets should funnel to Charles Clay. Makes sense. Ben Watson is a matchup play as well. He's got the Browns. They've given up nine scores to the season. I know it's hard to trust any of the Ravens pass catchers. His opportunities haven't been voluminous, voluminous, but he did in a soft matchup or a plus matchup find the end zone against Detroit in week 13. So, you know, I think he's going to catch like three for 37 and a touch. All right. So tight end streaming options this week, Ben Watson and Charles Clay. Give us one sneaky running back start this week. Sure. Um, I think Wayne Gallman is interesting. I, I don't, you know, he's been more efficient than Darkwa and Darkwa had his moment. It's a little bit sad to see the backfield taken away from him, but he was an undrafted guy who's been with the team since 2014. They know what they have in Darkwa. The Darkwa story illustrates the challenges of the undrafted running back that I talked about. Right. But he has this team that's in evaluation mode, obviously. Gallman's coming off of a near 100-yard effort. Um, he's been seeing a larger role, and you know, the matchup isn't great. The Eagles are quite good, but I don't know. He had some nice usage, so I think that there's an opportunity here. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. Who's that under-the-radar player that you qualify for truth or status on? We talked about it earlier in Dynasty. You're stashing this guy in the taxi squad because you like his profile. He's yet to show anything, but you believe. Who is it? I think I could get behind Steven Anderson. He's an athlete. Woof. It's a little crazy, but I don't know if Fedorowicz is going to play again because of the concussion issues. Good point. I don't think Ryan Griffin is that good. He's not. I like Deshaun Watson under center. Obviously, we hope he's back, and he is still a young quarterback, and while he's maturated more quickly than most rookie signal callers, and there's an obvious rapport with Hopkins, you can never really trust Will Fuller to stay healthy. And Bruce Ellington does what he does, but I do think that that would mean that Anderson has the potential to be the second largest red zone threat on the Houston Texans. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. It was good. It was good. You were very Neo. It was excellent. We did it. That's the show. Woo! Fun times. Two more weeks. We can get through it. I had so much fun doing that, but now I'm going to have to, like, write my sleepers article. It's a grind. Oh, you're talking about football and you analyze a game for a living. Uh, yeah. Now I have to go send this newsletter, which is really tedious. Listen to us. We sound like assholes. That's the pin in the voodoo doll this week. It's <laughs> Bryce Petty. This is what I'm doing, and that's the rankings. And 
Don't at me. Listen, I'm wearing a sweatshirt and no makeup and my hair's back. So if it was going to be like, I, it just occurred to me if you're going to post this with video. I like the audio. I like podcasts and radio. I, I'm not running to get myself constantly streaming all my shows. I, I agree that like a podcast audio, like this is what I want to listen to on my commute in a car while I'm working out, not have to have all senses blaring at all times. And there's a lot of flexibility in the editing after the fact. I like your show. I've listened to it regularly quite a few times i like to listen to your show after over the off season because i don't listen to anybody else's shit during the season yeah I, I, our shows in the off season are better anyway because there's more time to think man thing that i like that you do is you have sort of like a matt's corner if you will where you talk about like stuff that isn't so fantasy centric you talk about like why coaching stabs get fired or chris hogan's um trajectory into an NFL play via lacrosse. Like, I love that stuff, and that's why I like your pod, but that is definitely more, like, let's dig deeper off-season fodder. Yeah, the whole Sashi Brown getting fired in Cleveland, that became a six-minute segment last week, as opposed to I would have spent, you know, 25 minutes on it in the off-season. Football's pretty fascinating on a lot of levels, and it's getting even more so. So it's even it's even less challenging now to find content than it was two years ago. It's a fucking product. Like, it's not just a sport. It's gladiators throwing their bodies around. It's like Grey's Anatomy, and people don't want to note that piece of it. But to me, that's what's always drawn me in, and I think what keeps at least... I think a lot of women in invested. You know, as violent as it is and sort of immoral as it is, it's compelling. So there's a, you know, it's a conundrum. Nick Vanit? What? Nick Vanit? What? Nick Vanit? What? So God has one target on the ear? <laughs> I mean, the dude does not give with both hands. Let's be real. <laughs> but we love nothing. We like nothing better than nothing. I can't just say, oh, well, just make Kenny Galladay go away. No, I really like Kenny Galladay, too. Shit, I like all these guys. Corey Coleman, that's a duo. Like, a legit duo. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Yes, that's true. Everyone wanted to get in on Moneyball. Moneyball, 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 Moneyball. This is where I feel like draft Twitter likes to have short-term memory. Look at Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is the guy. But th that's true. But we don't run the Packers, damn it. But you don't get to say, I loved Williams, man. Jamal Williams would expose himself. You know, you know what I meant there. Aaron Jones, love you. Riding Jamal Williams. Accelerative, if that's a word. It's not a word a football guy. I don't own him anywhere. God, you're showing off right now. He was concussed. Damn it! Go, Albert! <laughs> Jameis Winston's just a weirdo. He is a weirdo. <laughs> I agree with that. Davis and Decker, I, I bought in. I'm, I'm a fool. God, I'm fishing for a laugh. Yeah, I'm pathetic. And I may have, at Yahoo, in the bullpen on a Sunday whispered all oh, the Matt Kelly curse. <laughs> Love you, Cooper Cup. Not starting. And I said, I'm wrong. 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 What about Eric Ebron? Real or fake? Oh, faker than a Gucci on Canal Street. <laughs> yes! I've been to Canal Street. I've seen those Gucci's. And you are them, Eric Ebron.
Yeah, I'm crying. I'm crying lots of tears. I'm so I'm so sorry. The sarcasm is just flowing right into my headset. I looked up the tight end that, by the way, that winked at me and I um, interviewed Cooper Hefflet. Cooper Hefflet, the tight end slash selfie taker and male model galore. Very handsome and also had that, I don't know where he's from, but he had that kind of, you know, when they like talk like this and you're like, oh my God, you're like Matthew McConaughey, but a parody of Matthew McConaughey, but legit. I know this guy. These are guys that have been good looking and good at sports their whole life. And they've lived in this bubble as long as they can remember. There are men that live this life. And I've always wanted to know what it feels like to live that life. I definitely told him to JKL at the end of our interview. We like nothing better than nothing.